0: well um, I'm excited to be with you guys tonight my name is Sarah Stevens I'm the director of ministries here at celebration church and it's just my turn and I love jumping in the word with you guys and getting to get to worship with you guys and then jump into the word and let the Lord feed us letting nourish us let him refresh us tonight I love the verse that says that springs of living water will come out of you and I know there are thirsty people here tonight there are people who are tired here tonight there are people who could just be refreshed and I'm going to ask the Lord for His help and ask Him to refresh you and to fill you and to let His powerful Word just settle in your spirit. So will you help me pray? Lord Jesus, Father, I thank You so much for Your goodness, I thank You for Your mercy. I thank You that every person here is here by divine appointment. And God, I ask that You be with them, that Your Word go forth, God, and speak to the very situation that they are in. Holy Spirit, that you would bring things to their remembrance. And God, that you would teach them all things. God, that I would be under the submission of the Holy Spirit and just bring your word forth. And that Holy Spirit, you would come and you would do the teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. ALL RIGHT, WELL IF YOU HAVE YOUR BIBLE TONIGHT, GO AHEAD AND OPEN UP. IT'S 2 KINGS CHAPTER 5, THAT'S WHERE I'M GOING TO BE TONIGHT, AND uh, WE'RE GOING TO READ A FEW VERSES AND THEN WE'LL we'll JUMP AROUND TO A COUPLE OF DIFFERENT PLACES, BUT THAT'S WHERE WE'RE GOING TO START. AND IF YOU'RE TAKING NOTES, YOU CAN TITLE YOUR NOTES PROBLEMS AND PURPOSE. PROBLEMS AND PURPOSE. SO 2 KINGS CHAPTER 5, uh, VERSE 1 AND 2. It says here, now Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great and honorable man in the eyes of his master. Because by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was also a mighty man of valor, but a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid, and she waited on Naaman's wife. So, we're gonna unpack that tonight problems and purpose. So, I was about 12 years old when the first Gulf War happened. And I remember because this is when like CNN came on the scene. And you didn't have to watch news like right at six o'clock when Tom Brokaw used to give you the news every night. You could watch 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I was I was 12, and it made such a huge impression on me because we would gather around the TV, and we would watch these reporters live in the field. And there would be like these Scud missiles, you know, being fired, and you'd see them off, you know, the the fire behind them, or those Tomahawk missiles off those Navy carriers. And I just remember it was it was the birth of the 20- 24-hour news cycle, and there was this one man, his name was General Norman Schwarzkopf. Storm and Norman. Does anybody remember General Schwarzkopf? Yes. He, he would give the press briefings. He would be, you know, answering questions. You'd see him with the President of the United States. He was just this phenomenal military leader. In fact, I have a picture of him. He made the cover of Time Magazine. He was General... Norman Schwarzkopf. He was a military genius, phenomenal leader. He was the architect of the um, first Gulf War, and I think they dismantled Saddam's army in like 12 hours. It was incredible. So when we read about this man named Naaman, he is the Norman Schwarzkopf of his time. Phenomenal leader, brilliant strategist. The Lord's favor is resting on him, and God is giving him victory over Israel. He is a big deal. Naaman is it. And at the same time, he has everything going for him. And then we just read in Scripture, it says, but he was a leper. Have you ever had a problem in your life That it doesn't matter how good everything's going in every other area of your life, but this one thing means that nothing else matters. It is like the best of times for Naaman, and it is the worst of times for Naaman at the exact same time. Because it doesn't matter how much money he has, it doesn't matter how much valor he has. Scripture says he was a mighty man of valor. That's how scripture described Gideon and David and some pretty impressive people. And it uses that same phrase to describe Naaman. And Naaman has all of this going for him, but he has a pretty big butt. And that should not have sounded like it just sounded. <laughs> This is why I preach on a rotational basis here at Celebration Church, <laughs> but Naaman was a leper. It's the best of times, it's the worst of times at the same time. I talk to people all the time, they said, oh my gosh, I've never been more in love with my husband than right now, but we are financially teetering on insolvency. We don't have two pennies to rub together. Or they say, oh, I I have never been so successful in my career. I am on the elevator up in this company, but doctors are really concerned about this symptom. (laughs) I have never been closer to the Lord than I am right now. It is the sweetest fellowship I have ever known, but we haven't heard from my son in six months. It is the best of times. It is the worst of times at the same time. This is Naaman's life. Well in the scripture we read, we meet two people. We meet Naaman and then we meet what the Bible calls a little maid. So Naaman is the, the head honcho of his army, of the Syrian army, and Syria and Israel, they're really not at war with each other, but they have kind of a tenuous peace. Kind of like a Cold War, right? And so the, the Syrians would come down and they'd raid the Israelites and the Israelites would raid the Syrians. And on one of these raids, they kidnap a young maid. We don't even know her name. We don't really even know how old she is. In my mind, when I hear young maid, I think of someone about 12 or 13 years old, someone about my daughter's age. And she is just at the wrong place at the wrong time. And no fault of her own, She gets snatched up in this season, and she becomes a slave. And here's the irony in the household of the man who's responsible for her capture. This little maid has a problem she can't do anything about, a problem she didn't bring on herself, a problem that just literally comes down. She she was at the wrong place at the wrong time. Naaman and this little maid have absolutely virtually nothing in common. They are on opposite ends of the socioeconomic spectrum. He's a man, she's a little maid, he's at the top of the totem pole, she's at the bottom, but they have one thing in common. They both have a problem they can't do anything about. And tonight I want to dig into this word with you, and I want to talk about the problems that you have in your life probably have a purpose that God can only fulfill. The problem that you have in your life that you can't do anything about is probably because there is a purpose in your life that only God can fulfill. And let's unpack that tonight, how these two people from two totally different walks of life both deal with a problem that leads to their fulfillment and their purpose that God's called them to. When you and I walk into a problem, a problem is gonna introduce you to two things right away. A problem is going to introduce you to your pride. Your pride is going to wake up when there comes to be a problem. And a problem is going to introduce you to your purpose. And pride and purpose are at war with each other. Just like Jesus or Paul wrote, he said, the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. They are combating each other. Your pride and your purpose are combating each other. And obedience, if you and I in that season that we don't understand. And that season where we can't get past that one thing that is ruining everything else in our lives, if we will lean on obedience, it will lead us to our purpose. So if you're taking nights, we're going to start with the little maid and what we can learn from her. And so we start with the little maid. And the first thing I learned from her, so i got to open up my notes, that's what she told me. Okay, the first, the little maid, the first thing is, The question I always ask myself when a problem comes up is can God trust you with trouble? Can God trust you with trouble? You read the Old Testament, the New Testament, you read it in the King James Version, you read it in the NIV, you study just the Pentateuch, you study just the epistles, you will meet person after person after person who encountered problem after problem after problem. And the one thing they all had in common, Old Testament, New Testament, before Jesus, after Jesus, is that God could trust them with trouble. You know, Mary was the mother of Jesus, she ends up pregnant out of wedlock, that's trouble. (laughs) Ruth widowed at a young age, no place to live, that's trouble. David pursued to the point that his life was in danger, that's serious trouble. The widow at Zarephath, famine in the land, like no water, no rain, no food. Single mother, has a child she cannot feed, has a little bit of flour and oil, enough to feed them one more time, that's trouble. The early church, persecuted, put unto death. John, exiled on the Isle of Patmos, that is trouble. You flip through your Bible, stick your finger on any page, and you will be within a half inch of someone who was in trouble. I could actually close my eyes and spin around this room and point to anybody including myself, and we could have open mic night, and everybody could come up here and share their trouble. If you don't have a problem right now, one, I don't want to talk to you, and number two, just wait, your turn's coming, right? Problems come to everyone, and the question is, can God trust you with trouble? You read in Second Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, I was reading this before I came, and the team doesn't even have it. But it says, this is Paul writing, he says, For we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about the afflictions and the oppressing distress which befell us in Asia, how we were so utterly and unbearably weighed down and crushed that we were despaired even of life. Now that's a heavy, that's some heavy verse right there. This is not the, I am highly favored and I'm a conqueror in in Christ. This is like, Paul is like laying it on the line. But listen to the next verse. This is 1 Corinthians 1, 9. Indeed, we felt within ourselves that we had received the very sentence of death, But that was to keep us from trusting in and depending on ourselves, instead relying on God who raises from the dead. Paul says, we had some crazy trouble, church. We had trouble I can't even describe to you. We had trouble that made us wish we were dead, that kind of trouble. But all of this was so that we would not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises and lifts us up. Can God trust you with trouble? This little maid, she's in a situation that she has no control over, that she hasn't done to herself, and God is looking at her very intently. He has not lost sight of her, and she's answering that question with her actions. T.D. Jakes has this great quote. He says, the greatest test of your life could be how you handle the person you hate. The greatest test of your life could be how you handle the person you hate. This girl is separated from her parents, she's separated from her people, everything she's ever known, and we each take a turn being the little maid. We each take a turn being the little maid. But the defining moment for us is how we, tr- how we treat the person that we hate. How we answer the question, can God trust us with trouble? You know the right person in the toughest problem can create phenomenal results. (laughs) The right person in the toughest problem can create phenomenal results. You know, I'm praying right now over my children. I have an 11-year-old and a 9-year-old, which is really remarkable considering I'm only 21. (laughs) And (laughs) yes, I know, you shouldn't lie in church, I'm 25. but. I've been praying over them, and I said, I've just been impressed to pray that they would be confident. I said, Lord, be my children's confidence, because if my kids' confidence is rooted in anything other than you, it can be shaken. But if their confidence is rooted in who you are, what you've done for them, what you've called them to, it doesn't matter what they face, they will not be shaken. And so the right person in the toughest situation can create phenomenal results. You keep reading in 2 Kings 4, the next verse, right after the one I read, this maid speaks up to her mistress. It says, she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria, for he would heal him of his leprosy. What's crazy to me is this little girl who knows no one, has nothing to recommend her, her faith and her confidence in the living God makes her bold enough to make this declaration. It's not, if he would go to Samaria, I think the prophet would heal him. Or if he went to Samaria, odds are Elijah could heal him. It is definitive. It is if he would get himself down to Samaria, I know the prophet would heal him. She is so confident. She tells Naaman's wife this that Naaman's wife goes and tells her husband, If you go and get yourself down to Samaria, this is the Southern International Version. <laughs> if you will get yourself down to Samaria, the prophet will heal you. Naaman is so convinced of it, he goes to the king and says the maid said thus and thus. He didn't quote his wife. He quotes the maid if you read the chapter. The king goes, sounds good to me. I'm going to send you with a letter. And so he writes a letter and he says to the king of Israel, when you get this presented is Naaman, cure him of his leprosy. It started with one young, little maid's confidence. Her faith in the living God that helped her supersede her problem to start pointing to something bigger than herself, her faith in the living God. And it was this domino effect. She told the wife, the wife told the husband, the husband told the king, the king sent him to go get his healing. Your problem, the thing you can't do anything about, If you and I will turn our eyes from the problem to our Savior, we can start to see a result and a purpose we could have never imagined or dreamed of. That's the little maid. So we keep going and we met Naaman. And let's dissect Naaman a little bit and see what we can learn from him. Naaman, the first thing that I learned from him, if you're taking notes, is pay attention to the servants God has put in your life. Naaman is a big deal. He is at the top of his game. He's probably second only to the king, but he has enough sense to listen to his wife. So husbands, write that down in your notes, number one. (laughs) But he listens to the maid. He listens to the maid's counsel, even when you're a big deal. And we each take a turn being a big deal. And some of you tonight are going, well, I'm not that big a deal. You're a big deal because you're a priest and a king over your household. God has appointed you to your cul-de-sac to be salt and light. You're a big deal in that office, in that cubicle. You're an opinion shaper and mover among your peers. Even when you're a big deal, never get to be such a big deal that you can't listen to the servants in your life. God has put them in your life to counsel you. And this is the other thing I learned from Naaman. Sometimes you can ask the right thing of the wrong person. Naaman goes to the king and says, hey, I think I want to try this Sumerian thing out. King goes, I'll send you with a letter, no problemo. He writes this letter to the king. The king gets it in Israel, and the king starts panicking. He goes, is this guy trying to start a war with me? Who am I? I can't heal jack squat. I cannot heal anybody. And this guy is just trying to provoke me. King is so nervous about it, he tears his clothes and is running around the palace. It makes such a scene that the prophet hears and says, King, send him to me and he'll know there's a God in Israel. You know, the lesson for us as leaders is we need to know our lane and stay in it. THERE ARE SOME THINGS THAT ARE NOT IN OUR LANE. THAT KING KNEW, THE KING OF ISRAEL KNEW THAT I CAN'T HEAL ANYBODY. AND HE ADMITTED THAT. AND HE WAS ABLE IN THAT ADMISSION TO LET THE PROPHET COME IN AND DO WHAT THE PROPHET DOES. SOMETIMES YOU CAN ASK THE RIGHT QUESTION TO THE WRONG PERSON. THERE ARE SOME THINGS THAT YOU ASK YOUR BANK ACCOUNT TO GIVE YOU PEACE, ONLY THE HOLY SPIRIT CAN. YOU'RE ASKING THE RIGHT QUESTION. LORD, I NEED PEACE. BUT YOU'RE ASKING THE WRONG PERSON. YOU'RE ASKING CHASE CHECKING instead of the Holy Spirit there are things you can ask your spouse I need you to fulfill me and that's something only the Holy Spirit has been designed to fulfill you and give you purpose you're asking the right thing I want fulfillment I want peace but you need to make sure you ask the right person I need to be healed of this hurt so make this friendship heal my hurt you're asking for the right thing you're asking the wrong person And that's the lesson Naaman teaches us. My daughter, for years, I mean, since she could talk, asked our family for a dog. And by by family, I mean she begged me and my husband for a dog. She wrote letters to Santa Claus. Santa Claus doesn't have authority over 46 East Summer Storm Circle. Santa Claus didn't bring any puppies, okay? She wrote her grandparents. Not going to work. Grandparents don't decide if there's a puppy coming to 46 East Summer Storm Circle. At the time, I was like, I am potty training a two-year-old. I do not need to be potty training a puppy and a two-year-old. I was like putting my foot down. She wrote letters to her second grade teacher. I was like, I love Mrs. Starnes. She does not have authority over 46 East Summer Storm Circle. And finally, Avery wrote a letter to her parents. And here is the letter, I've saved it. Dear Ma and Pa, she was in this like Laura Ingalls Wilder stage. <laughs> she read Laura Ingalls Wilder all the time. So we are not known as Ma and Pa for the record, but she thought it would just like add to the, to the finesse of the letter. Dear Ma and Pa, it would be great to have a new adorable putt puppy. They are a lot of, there are a lot of good reasons. First, it will teach me responsibility. I love the spelling. I love the spelling. It will teach me responsibility. I will clean the cage. I will give it clean water and food. I will clean it. She can see that I have discussed the cleanliness factor several times because she is reiterating that in her letter three or four separate times. Next paragraph, next, I'm good at school. I get good grades. I listen to Mrs. Starnes. I follow directions. I also help people. Third paragraph. I mean, how do you, I mean, this is a compelling argument. I think, ladies and gentlemen, that you are reading a letter from the next Supreme Court Justice of the United States of America. You know what I mean? Like, first of all, let's address that cleanliness issue I've heard a lot about. Second of all, let's talk about the grades that I'm bringing to the table, okay? Third, she says, finally, I'm good at home. I do the chores even when Owen cannot help. He's two, okay? He's two. (laughs) So she is not only carrying her weight, she's carrying that deadbeat two-year-old's weight too. (laughs) Even when Owen cannot help, I help with the chores. I listen to you and mom. I hope that you will think about it. Love Avery." What do you do with a letter like that? My husband looked at me, he said, what do you want to do? I said, I want to go get a dog, let's go right now! (laughs) Avery wrote the right letter to the right person, and she got the results she wanted. We now own a miniature schnauzer named Charlie. We've owned a miniature snails, really Charlie. When you and I pray, every time you pray, you write a letter to the right person. Every time you whisper your, your need, every time you praise God for what he is about to do, even though you don't see it happening yet, you thank him in advance for what he is going to do, you write a letter to the right person. 9 times out of 10, 10 times out of 10, the key to life is asking the right question to the right person. And that's what Naaman teaches us. So Naaman gets to Israel. He meets the king. King tears his clothes. Elijah says, send him to me. He'll know there is a, a God in Israel. And he gets to Naaman's house. Now, or he gets to Elijah's house. Naaman pulled up. With like 10,000 shekels of silver, 10 changes of clothes, chariots, and soldiers. He pulled up prepared to meet with a king. And the king has sent him to Elijah's house. So now he's prepared to meet with Elijah. And Elijah sends a servant out to him and says, hey, give him this message. If he'll go bathe and dip himself in the Jordan River seven times, he'll be healed. Naaman is outraged. He's like, first of all, I'm kind of a big deal, okay? I came from a king, I met with your king, and now you're sending me the butler? (laughs) That was number one. I'm kind of a big deal. His pride was offended. Remember, I said a problem is going to introduce two people to you right away, your pride and your purpose. And his pride was offended. And he said, I thought the prophet would come out here, wave his hand over me, speak a few words, and I'd be healed. So in his mind, he had it all worked out how God was gonna do this thing. Have you ever done that? I've done it. Now God, this is what I have in mind and you can take my advice or you can take my advice. What I would suggest, and we're gonna play counselor to the king of the universe, And Naaman's like, that's not what I expected of all. And he says, and you want me to go get in this muddy river? I just left a country with better rivers than you've got here. It's sort of like if someone from Panama City Beach, Florida travels to Galveston, and the prophet says, I want you to go dunk yourself in the Gulf of Mexico. And they said, no, 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 no. I just left white sand and water where I live, and you want me to come get in this oil slick of a pond? No. That is what Naaman is thinking to himself. And he turns away, and Scripture says he left in a rage, and his soldiers, the people who serve him, are you picking up on a theme? The servant girl, the prophet's servant, and now his soldiers who serve him said, Naaman, had he asked you to do something big and exciting, you would have done it. He's asked you to go get yourself in the river and bathe seven times. Do what the man is asking you to do. The last thing that Naaman teaches us is that your pride will rob you of what obedience will win for you. Your pride will rob you of what your obedience will win for you. Naaman balks, but he does what he's told. He's a soldier. He's used, used to giving orders, he also knows how to take an order. And he goes and he bathes in the river seven times. Your pride is always competing with your purpose. There's a beautiful scene in scripture, it's in John chapter 3. And John the Baptist, his disciples are getting really upset because the scripture says that people are flocking to Jesus to get baptized. And John the Baptist's disciples are like, We have the corner on the baptism market, okay? And we don't need another dude baptizing people, okay? His name is John the Baptist. It's what he does. And they go to John and they say, This people are flocking to this guy. And John's response is a drop the mic response. He says this to his disciples. He must increase, and I must decrease. If you're going to learn one scripture verse this week to memorize, John 3, 30. He must increase, I must decrease. Your pride and your purpose are at war with each other, but when you resolve that I must decrease. He must increase. You are well on your way to your purpose, because obedience is guiding your steps. Let's stand together. Had Naaman listened to pride, he would have gone home a leper. (laughs) But his soldiers convinced him to go take a dip. Church, we have to be willing to do something that our pride says is beneath us because I promise you Jesus will always be in it. You know, in my life group I got to know this wonderful woman. Her name is Angie Babel. and I do a life group for young moms mainly because I need the encouragement and I'm selfish, but I love meeting these women. And she said that when she would tell her children to do something, she'd give them an instruction. She'd also say, I want it done completely and without complaint because obedience is 100%. So she said, I want you to go make your bed, and I want you to do it completely and without complaint. I don't want any halfway bed making going on here. I want you to take the trash out, and I want you to do it completely and without complaint. Naaman is told to go to the river and dip himself seven times, and I believe that he went under once and nothing changed. And he's thinking to himself, i knew it. at this river, oh my goodness, why did I leave Syria? He goes down a second time, nothing changes. I can't believe I took the counsel of a servant girl. He goes down a third time, nothing changes, oh my gosh, do you see all these people looking at me? You and I, when we agree and submit and bend our knee, because that's where the walk with Jesus always starts. <laughs> he must increase, I must decrease, you will be going through the walk of obedience, and you'll do that one thing. You'll say, now, Lord, I'm going to try to tithe, and then nothing changes. But you just keep going through the steps. Now, Lord, I'm going to turn the other cheek, but nothing changes, and you just keep going through the steps. It's one dip. It's two dips. It's three dips. Lord, I am going to trust you like I have never trusted you, you before, and the wind still howls, and it's a fourth dip. Dip five. Dip six. And finally, dip seven, Naaman comes out of the water and it says his skin was like a newborn baby's skin. It was perfect. When you and I are called to obedience, trust him. Do it completely. Don't stop on dip five. Don't stop on dip six. Don't stop when you've done something 90% of the way. People say, well, how long do I have to keep doing this until Jesus tells you to do something else? How long do I gotta keep doing this until Jesus tells you to do something else? How long do I have to keep leaning on God and believing this Scripture until He gives you another Scripture? Until it changes, trust Him with it. Obey Him completely. Obey Him completely. Do the seven dips. Your pride and your purpose are competing, and your problem will lead you to your purpose. So church, I'm going to pray for you tonight. The team is going to lead us out in worship. And if you're on dip one or dip six, or maybe you're a servant girl, maybe you're naming whatever part of the story the Holy Spirit spoke to you about, I hope that you'll come and just take a moment to get before the Lord and let him do the work in your life. Lord Jesus, Father, I thank You so much for Your goodness. God, I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You that Romans tells us that You gave us the Old Testament. You gave us the stories of old. One, so that we could learn, and two, so we could have hope. God, that's what Romans says. And so, Father, I thank You for the story of the leper and the little maid. One, Lord Jesus, that we can learn from them. And two, Father God, that we can have hope that we can have hope when we have a situation or a problem that we can't see past. God, that we can trust you to give that problem a purpose we could not have foreseen. God, I thank you for your word that is going forth. God, that it is gonna produce a harvest seven and 10 and a 100 times over. God, I thank you that people are gonna be renewed, Father God, they're gonna be renewed in their walk with you. They're gonna be refreshed, God, to trust you and to hold on to you for just a little bit longer. God, I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit right now. God, that you are speaking to hearts right now. That you are bringing things to remembrance right now. God, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is like a voice in their ear, like Isaiah says. In your ear, whether you go to the left or the right, this is the way. Walk in it. That that people would have a confidence, Father, that they are walking in what you have for them. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship.